You know you don't have to wear your PT gear anymore, right? It's comfortable. So how's civilian life treating you? It's fine. When I got out, I didn't want to admit that there was anything wrong because I felt like a failure. And then I realized, like, there's nothing to be ashamed of. So I started talking to someone. Maybe you are fine. But if you're not, it's okay. Thank you. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. Hello and welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. My name is Travis. I'm a Marine Corps veteran and your host of this military veterans podcast and show. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hubazoo Network. You can find out more on hubazoo.com. I want to thank my sponsors, Joyce Asac of Asac Real Estate, Mark Holmes, Army National Guard veteran of Reapers Detailing and Power Washing, and my supporters, Quezon Shaving Company, Black Cat Designs, and Savage American Woodwork. Thank you. And again, ladies and gentlemen, we're going into year seven of Oscar Mike Radio. It's hard to believe. And the theme for this year is there's a lot I don't know. And so when something crosses my desk, like my next guest here, I'm all ears. I'm very interested. He is active duty Marine Corps, which is awesome because usually I'm, I'm talking to Marine Corps veterans and he's a Marine. What else do you need to know? You know, second Lieutenant fresh faced talking about his book, Matthew Weiss. Welcome to Oscar Mike radio, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Extremely excited to be here and uh, talk about the uh, military recruiting crisis today. Absolutely. And, and and this is about the recruiting crisis. I've got several views on this. I'm interested to hear what you have to say, sir. But before we get into all the good stuff, take a minute and tell us who Matthew is. I joined the Marine Corps just a year and a half ago, so fully recognize my naivete and uh, freshness to the organization, uh, which is one of the reasons why believed I was the right person to write this thing. Um, joined a little bit later than the average uh, second lieutenant, worked a little bit um, in a technology company before. Um, and I like to say for myself, because I've been asked this, why did you join? I like to say I had internal and, and external motivations, which I think will track with some of the things I talk about Generation Z. Internal, similar to those in the past, right? definitely sense of service, patriotism. I felt that, uh, but externally a little bit different. I, I felt that I looked at my path to the Marine Corps as an investment in myself, investment in becoming a leader, uh, learning how to actually lead other people, lead Marines, um, and something that could boost my career and, and, and life for that matter um, in the future. So those are the two main internal and external reasons I ended up here. Uh, and I've loved every day since. Still butter bar, though. Uh, still still get made fun of by everyone around in the org, and I, I love that. So this is, you know, what's your MOS before we we, we, we go any further? Absolutely. So MOS uh, 0206, Signals Intelligence, Electronic Warfare Officer. Nice, nice, nice. The reason I say nice is I was a Hawk operator when I was in the Marine Corps, and, you know, even though it's two different MOSs, there was a lot of carryover with what you all did versus us trying to defeat an aircraft's electronic countermeasures uh, systems. So I think that's very cool. So a technical MOS, nice. Um, your commission now, your fully commissioned, your, are you active or reserve? I just want to clarify that. So I, I'm in on a reserve contract, but I'm active duty right now. I'm actually deployed overseas right now. So okay. uh, first deployment went right into the fleet and they, they sent me around, deployment, which is very exciting. So. Awesome. Awesome. So, and you have some perspective of how the civilian world works and how the Marine Corps works. Usually uh, second Lieutenant folks go right from college into OCS, the basic school and come right in, you know, raring to go. So you reached out to me and you told me, Hey, you know, this thing with generation Z gen X and the recruiting crisis really hit home for you. And my first initial reaction is, well, what's a, what's a second lieutenant know about the recruiting crisis, right? And then I'm thinking, you know, who else better to talk about this than someone who is in that demographic and has to lead Marines in that demographic? 
And then when I looked at it like that, I, I went full ham, sir. I, I'm like, I'm like, I want to know everything about what this guy is doing. So my first question is, what started you on this path to say, you know what? I'm seeing some stuff I don't like. I want to change it, even though I'm relatively new. Let's go. What what got you started? What was the catalyst for that, sir? Please. Absolutely. So the journey started. Um, actually view the regular news channels uh regardless of what news station any of your viewers watch most of the larger ones in the past year or two have published an article or a segment about the military recruiting crisis um similar themed articles uh different reasons as to why pretty general saying you know for the 50 years since 73 that we've had an all-volunteer force this is the biggest recruiting crisis we've ever had, right? Last year, fiscal year, the army missed its goals by 15,000 people, 15,000 recruits. And this year, the army, Navy, and Air Force, the three major service branches in terms of personnel uh, are all going to ex be expected to miss their recruiting goals. So really serious issue that is trending in the wrong direction rather than the right direction. The Marine Corps will make it, uh, Based on projections, we'll see, but barely. And there's also obviously having um, some unique recruiting issues. So every time I would read these articles or see these panels, uh, I was interested in who was writing them and who was actually speaking on them, because it's obviously an issue that impacts all of us. And with full respect to my superiors, and again, just the butter bar on me, um, most of the speakers, especially on TV, were retired general officers, retired admirals. Um, real, true, great American heroes, but also 40, 30 years removed from the actual time of recruiting. And I kept thinking to myself, the people that know this issue the best or the solutions to this issue will be those closest to it, those at the actual point of friction, those at the level, right? We're taught distributed leadership uh, in the business world. There was a great CEO who spoke to me in business school, and she said, um, every time she would take over a new company, she would go right down to the lowest level because she'd see all the problems there. So she was the CEO of Cinnabon at one point. She would work in a Cinnabon for a month. It was a pretty cool story. Um, so I felt, well, I was just recruited in the military just a year ago. I'm part of Generation Z, super young. Let me add my perspective, add my voice to this issue and see if I can really dive deep on some of the underlying causes and potentially come up with maybe solutions that those of the senior levels would listen to or are not thinking of. Um, and so that's what started this journey of really research, exploration, and uh, months and months later, a, a final product of a book. And the book is titled, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam. And yep. it, it's it's written from this perspective of the Generation Z, you know, civilian who's, you know, I wouldn't say turn their back, but definitely made it clear that the military is not a choice for their career or future. And, and, and it really bothers you. It, you know, talking with you before we, we got on today, it really, that, that really hit home close to you for some reason. Absolutely. So obviously the famous, the, the most famous World War One recruiting poster that most of your viewers are probably have seen is the Uncle Sam, um, Mr. Flagg was the, the, the creator of that poster pointing in a very stern face saying, I want you uh, for U.S. Army. That's become, you know, part of Americana public domain imagery. And unfortunately, um, in in the modern day, and I sort of end the book with this, it's, it's, it's not Uncle Sam doesn't just want you, Uncle Sam needs you. But response amongst my generation, frankly, is we don't want you, Uncle Sam. And it's sort of been a re rebuke and a rejection of this. And in, in my opinion, the the trend lines will continue to to be negative and and will continue to suffer uh with recruiting for for at least the short term um if certain changes aren't implemented and that's really what the book is pushing for so the chapters and i'm sure we'll get into them they're all um separate descriptions of, of a specific issue and then a prescription a potential solution um that comes up basically yeah, we're getting to the heart of this. So what I was going to do is ask you, what are the problems? What in your observations, why is this now the reality we're in? Absolutely. It's a, it's a great question. So 
I'll break it down just because it's a super, you know, as we would say, wicked problem, right? Multifaceted problem, multifaceted solution. Uh, and as much as we like, you know, training docs and manuals and be able to say, you know, answer X is because of variable Y, it, it's, you know, multivariable. So the best way to break it down, I'll explain how I broke it down in the book and then we can dive into specific okay. uh, topics. But on, on the first part, I think, the military as a whole, our current recruiting apparatus is has to understand uh, the fundamentals of, of who Generation Z is, right? The basics of our actual generation. We're a different generation than millennials. There's been a sort of sea change around that 1998, 2000 year for those that are born. By the way, Pew defines Generation Z as uh, 1997 to 2012 birth. That's just a, a framework for your uh, reference so the first level obviously understanding generation z the second level um changing or understanding what they expect in their workplace because there's sort of been a divergence between what generation z expects in a workplace and what a current military uh workplace is um the third level is you know understanding larger society impacts, things that are going on in larger American society that are impacting specifically Gen Z military recruitment. And the fourth level is um, promoting ways the military can actually give back to society and, and fulfill that key niche for Generation Z. So as we talk, we can go through parts of each um, and specific chapters of each, I guess. Well, I mean, let's just start from the beginning because I, you know, look, ladies, I'll have, ladies and gentlemen, look, ladies and gentlemen, I'll have the website in the Oscar Mike Radio show post. You can look at it like I did. And, you know, Matthew, you break this all down for us. But let's just start at the beginning because, you know, the Marine Corps you're a part of is very different from the Marine Corps I was a part of. Um, I'll just give you a classic example. When I was in, they were WMs. Uh, and, and I went to San Diego, so there were no females at San Diego. And, you know, for a lot of us, we were pretty proud of that. You know, it, it, it is what it is. You know, there was no 4th Battalion there. Now, you can't call them WMs, and it's integrated, and we're not sure what world this is. So, we we'll start at the beginning, because attitudes and, you know, perspectives have changed. Absolutely. So, I think to, to truly start, and now I'll give sort of the not the DOD prescribed answer, but a diagnosis of the macro okay. problem. Sure. Um, and that's there's an identity, knowledge, and trust gap between Generation Z and the United States military. So the first thing, knowledge. Less and less members of my generation of Z know even about the military or about what type of lifestyle the military actually brings. So there's a massive knowledge gap because as the military has become more and more professionalized and less of total American society has served, the proportion of services down, World War II, everyone had an uncle or a father or cousin serving. Um, since we've become an all-volunteer force, there's been less permeation of military service in greater society. So increasingly specific family units had sort of legacies of service. You've heard of this sort of a family business. Um, and that has created less, the average American Zier just doesn't know someone that's been in the military. For historical purposes, the largest propensity increasers, the largest reason why someone would have joined the military would have been a family member in their direct line or their cousin line, something like that. And so that proportion has decreased. So there's been a knowledge, you know, exposure gap um, there. In an identity gap, there's increasingly Zers are unable to see themselves in the military, are unable to identify with what the military does. Basically, do my values align with the military values or does my perception, this goes into the workplace, of what I want to do in, in work align with what the military does in work. Um, there's been a gap there uh, as well. Um, and then the trust gap. So the trust gap is, do I trust what my recruiters are telling me? Do I trust that the lifestyle of the military will be as I desire it to be? Do I trust that I can hit my goals? Um, there's been a sort of a gap there. So among those three vectors, if you want to summarize the entirety of the problem, 
those are the gaps that are currently existing between the generation and the military. And hopefully together, you know, we'll, we'll figure out how to close some of those gaps. Um, but that's a good framing as, as we begin here. Identity, so, knowledge. And- so, you know, no one knows anybody who served. No one really knows anything about the military and the trust issue. Um, so let's just start with the first one. I, I can certainly see and agree with what you're saying is it's rare. It's it's rare to, to come across other people who have served even for, for my generation and certainly for, uh, you know, my sons, you know, out of a school with, you know, a thousand children in it, you know, graduating high school, there might be 13, maybe 14 that are going to the military, maybe on a good year. And then, well, let me ask you this. Does the fact that a lot of schools, at least in my state, the schools can sit there and say, you know what, to a recruiter, we're not going to let you put up a table or come in or talk to the kids. Does that contribute to the problem at all, you think? Absolutely. So one of the analysis we were trying to figure out um, is COVID, which obviously was a huge event in, in everyone's lives. Um that sort of closed schools and closed access to recruiters, did that, is that the reason for this decline? And the short answer is no, there's other reasons for this recruiting de- decline as well, but certainly exposure has been an issue, right? You need to reach the generation. You need recruiters to be able to get into classrooms and be able to meet people and make those connections and make those frontline connections. So yes, categorically, recruiters being barred from certain schools and not being able to go in and actually make those connections will 100% negatively impact recruiting. I think what's interesting when I talk about this, and this is a good jumping point to, to talk about some of the ideas and such, is Generation Z is increasingly influenced, we've heard that word influencers, by different sources, um, different types of media, right? Social media is now a huge, huge, huge impact on our lives and different um potential influencers. So just looking at, and I pull a lot from like the business world, obviously to come up with some of these ideas, there are alternate means of being able to positively influence Z or increase their potential propensity to serve. And so one of them is is identifying new types of influences on Z, right? Are those key peer influencers that exist? Are they um, specific niche category influencers that exist online, particularly social media, that the military can tap into to potentially better um, reach Generation Z, knowing that, okay, certain schools are not going to let recruiters in. Recruiters can only cover so much on you know phone call, um, in-person basis. Can we utilize the power of social media that has seemingly been utilized by tons of other brands and impacts um, and companies for that matter, can we utilize that to change some of our influence and in our marketing and be able to hit Generation Z in different ways? And so one of the ideas in, in, in a more specific way is um, can we tap into sort of this new Gen Z type of influencer that maybe doesn't have a military affiliation, that maybe doesn't um, historically you would think of as being pro-military or just connected to us in any way, but bringing them more into the fold, um, offering tours on base or just, you know, getting to know current military members to actually say, hey, you know, a few posts in the right direction could really sway that on the fence 18, 19 year old to be like, mm, you know, even the people that I'm watching online are, are positive about the military or pro on it. That could be a, a positive um, a move. So that's sort of one of the fields of, of, uh, of interest, basically. There's that. And then, you know, the second one I find interesting, but almost hard to believe, sir. Let me explain why. Because, you know, when when I went in the Marine Corps, um, the only way I got to see the military up close and personal was through air shows done at Barksdale Air Force Base in Bossier City, Louisiana. Um, I lived in Louisiana for a while. We moved there uh, when I was a teenager. And, you know, for whatever reason, my father liked taking us to the air show. And that's the only time I got to see uh, the National Guard, the Army, you know, all in one spot. And there were a couple of Marines there from the recruiting station looking sharp in their blues, right? But with the advent of video games and social media, 
I mean, Call of Duty is not, it's, it's a video game, but it gives you more of an idea of what things are than what I had growing up. So I guess what I'm saying is if you're ignorant of the military now, it's almost like a choice because if you want to find out about air defense and the Patriot missile or the Hawk missile, which is what I crewed, you can go on YouTube and get more information there than I got before I went in. I mean, what am I missing there? hundred percent. It's a, it's a, it's a great question. Cause, cause you're hitting on um, this propensity uh point so the access is there absolutely right if you want to type in online military jobs or you'll get a thousand websites and you'll be able to look at anything and there are now thousands of youtube videos for example uh available so in this weird you know sort of shifting paradox you have more access than ever but you have less you know viewership than ever in, in terms of total population amount and so the word that's used by sort of the academics studying this because i try to pull in the, the academic articles and the grand institute that really you're trying to crunch the numbers on the, the total issue. Um, propensity is the key thing that we're after. So the joke is it's not an all re volunteer force. It's an all recruited force, right? Everyone was sort of convinced at some point by something to be um, convinced to join the military. And that, that word propensed, which is down um, numbers are, Reagan Institute did a, did a big poll, numbers are are more dismal and they're trending downward. And they'll always say, and we can go into this, you know, only 23% of the youth is qualified, only 9% of that are propensed. Um, there's been a less of a total overall shift of people just wanting to research these things, right? And that goes to the same three gaps of identity, knowledge, and trust. But even though it's there, we're not seeing the same amount of reaching out. So someone on the fence is not just looking up military stuff. They're not looking up positive, interesting military searches, military careers. There's a lack of that initial click desire, if we can use the marketing term. And that's where the gap is. I think I agree with you that if we can convince more people or more people are, are doing those searches and getting those, those clicks done, they'll be more interested in military um, life, military learning, et cetera. But we're not even getting to that first click. The, the point of failure is actually before that first propensity click of, hey, I want to type in something about the military today. Let me, let me bounce this off you then, because one of the things about stardom, celebrity, or uh, you know, an organization is a bit of mystery. Like I, I, I you know, we all, I, I watched Full Metal Jacket before I went to San Diego, right? But there's a bit of mystery there. Like, I, you know, what's actually going to happen? Is it almost like there's too much free flow of information, and there's no like, you know, what's that really like? Or you know, what's it going to be? Is it almost like it's everywhere now, so it's no longer considered elite or you know desirable? Do you understand where I'm coming Absolutely. from? Absolutely. It's a, it's an interesting point. So I think the best way to answer this one is, is to actually look at Gen Z a little bit and okay. understand their path. So Z itself, so just, just again, to frame that that time frame, for, for example, myself, we we don't remember 9-11, right? 9-11 had, uh, we were not either, either not born or not, you know, conscious yet for 9-11. So a different framing generation than most millennials the the development cycle of us was bookended by the great financial crisis so we saw sort of a large recessionary um impact in our early childhood um in an extremely divisive 2016 election regardless of sides and i'm sure we could discuss chapter 15 the, the political chapter for a second or, or later uh divisive political election and divisive political climate right um and then the covid uh, pandemic punctuating our childhood, right? Taking away or impacting it was a health pandemic, not not a military, pan, you know, uh, issue, but a COVID pandemic impacting something that occurred right during that key developmental middle school, high school, college type period uh, for Z. So, so that's sort of the development of Z, and I think what that has created is a much more um, pragmatic generation a much more um, sort of realistic generation. If, if we can say that millennials were, you know, in the 90s were pretty idealistic and, and service-oriented, to use the word, um, 
now we've had much more pragmatic, realistic, hey, you know, the world isn't necessarily always trending upward and to the right, right? There are some setbacks. Um, I sort of want to defend and protect. The word protector is a really good um, sort of brand for, for Z. I want to defend and protect what I have. I want I want that stability and that that understanding and that um, straight line of, of, of life to a little bit degree. And that's when I remember I started, I sort of said one of my external motivations for joining personally was an investment in myself. And I think a lot of Zers try to plan their next steps with investments in them in, in themselves. So when we look at the question of, is it almost, uh, is there too much information and it's not prestigious or is there that sort of mysterious uh, air to it? I think it's more about having that pragmatic path and Gen Z struggling to maybe understand what that means in the modern military. Like what is the, the pragmatic path? Um, one of the ways that that I, I hit on this, and this is a huge area, I think, um, that veterans veterans that we have today can play, right, are to sort of act as that knowledge, that trusted knowledge source, that trusted knowledge divider, as well as those current Gen Zers currently in the military. So, you know, one of my initial chapters, chapter one, not, not necessarily a controversial idea, not going to save the recruiting crisis, but definitely one that uh, is impactful is that, hey, like it or not, all of us are frontline recruiters in, in in a way, right? We represent the military every single day and with less exposure to, to understanding the, again, revealing that mystery of military life or actually telling, telling how it is, as example, we have a duty, literally a duty um, to present to at least the people that we know the military path. In most other companies, they, they get something like a recruit, uh, recruiting bonus or referral bonus. I'm not suggesting that we get a referral bonus in the military. The army is actively looking at giving out ribbons if you convince um, someone to join, which is just an interesting thought just to show what the army's point is. But again, we should have a duty, and, and I put this in in the chapters, that there should be on your, your fit rep Marine Corps or on your you know yearly tasks for Gen Zers increasingly the military should look at making it an actual duty to, hey, you had five phone calls this year with people in your community just to explain the military, you know, potential recruits in your community. As crazy as that sounds and everyone's, you know, will laugh because leave the recruiters to uh, leave recruiting to the recruiters. I disagree. I think the critical mass is, is small enough now. You need every single person in uniform has to sort of put their recruiting hat on at least one day a year or to one person a year have that conversation, say, hey, this is a path in the military to someone in the town that, that's been interested. Um, I myself have had people in my town reach out. I, I my, When I was going through the process, reached out to veterans to ask about their process that worked in the company with me. And so again, like it or not, it's actually responsibility for our organization that we, we cherish and love and are a part of to build the next generation of our organization. So I think that's a mindset shift that we should all understand. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. And, and you, you bring up some good points there. And I think it's, it's an all or nothing kind of deal. I think it's, you know, all the Marine Corps needs to advocate for themselves. I think that, you know, we're veterans, we're no longer in the Marine Corps, but, you know, to, you know, let, let us, you know, advocate for you. But moving on to trust now, here are some things that I experience and that I question when someone asked me, should I put my child into the Marine Corps? And these are, you know, sir, these are these are like real conversations I've had with real parents and my sons. And the first one that comes to mind is the pullout of Afghanistan. But like that, that has been indefensible in my view, how that was handled, that that we would, you know, leave Americans behind, that that we would leave our equipment in the Taliban's hands. That has been impossible to defend on any level and the silence from senior leadership about that makes it hard for me to articulate to parents what's going on the second thing is um the response to covid you know talking to family members who've had good marines no problems, you know, E5 and below, good fit reps, good PFT score, good marksmen, you know, in the community getting kicked out because they didn't want the vaccine. And now we're finding out the vaccine 
may or may not have been effective at all is hard for parents to get around. Number three is um, this military sexual trauma problem. Uh, it's not as pervasive in the media as it could be, but when it comes up, it's hard to explain. And the last one, believe it or not, that I get asked about is the Osprey. Why does the Marine Corps field an aircraft that has habitually and killed Marines? And I, and I can kind of explain this when I said, well, yes, the Osprey gets a bad rap from the urn, but I said, believe it or not, you know, when I was serving, the aircraft it replaced, the CH-46, had a very bad habit of falling out of the sky. You know, it could just auto-rotate, whereas the Osprey couldn't. So I said, you know, make no mistake, when they have these safety stand-downs, it's, it's no good for anybody if equipment doesn't work. So what, I, what I'm saying is, is for me as the Marine Corps veteran, and, and the Marine Corps has done so much for me, these are things that are really challenges to explain to a parent or a, a, an 18-year-old who's, you know, and I will say this about Gen Z, they, they, they might have the reputation that they're lazy or whatever. When they want to focus in on a topic, they're very focused. So, so these are the challenges that, that, that I face and I'm not sure anymore how to get around them or even if I want to, and I'm just being candid with you, sir. Absolutely. So I think it's a great point and a lot of strong stuff to unpack there. Um, so your sentiment uh, is tracking with a lot of Iraq, Afghanistan uh, veteran sentiment. Uh, there was a recent article published in, in the wall street journal um by by a veteran and he he displayed some really great data and ex and explained um that a lot of veterans now are telling their kids not to join they're actively actually telling them not to join for for similar reasons or for reasons that you said or for their own reasons these conversations are happening now across you know american dinner tables all across the country right where uh, your generation of veterans is, is getting your children are sort of maybe becoming just right of age to have that first conversation about joining right there, you know, depending on age or whatever, they're either just getting into that, they're hitting that, you know, 18 year, 20 year um, age point where they're having those conversations. And these conversations are being had, they're absolutely be, being had. Yeah. And a lot of them are, are trending in exactly a similar way of actually, I don't think the military is the best option for you, which is going to hurt recruiting because as we said before, the biggest um, indicator is past family service. And, you know, is, and, and by the way, I don't necessarily think that's the best thing in the world. We should have a military that is representative of, of not just continuous, the same military families. I can get into that, but um, a lot of people are responding in a, in a similar way of saying, I don't think this is uh, the best path. And again, that's one of the reasons why I felt so compelled to write about this is, is it's, let's unpack some of those things. Okay. Um, that that that's dig down. So so I think so there's there's a huge the elephant in the room that has to be discussed, that has to be, you know, challenged head on, is our feelings on um policy and politics. We we, we can't just ignore that. So the the most not divisive chapter, but the, one of the most important um chapters that I write about, right? right deals with with politics how does this generation view politics how do we understand and conceptualize politics and how do we deal with it in the military because one of the unfortunate things that is happening in dc uh, and i speak to a full full broad audience on both sides of the aisle right i like to say that i did not write this book um politically in any way and i hope and one of my desires is that people on both sides are going to love some chapters hate some chapters disagree with points and not but again that's the benefit of a good positive discussion that i think was ingrained by our founding fathers to have these discussions where people disagree but we, we come together and, and, and still discuss them and so you see in a lot of hearings now in, in washington um unfortunately the military being used as a political football by both sides of the aisle right one side making you know xyz claim another side making xyz claim um and it's it's a very troubling and sad thing to see for you know the last bastion of sort of the apolitical institution the military was right we've had this awesome reputation um the military had the highest trust out of any american large institution um and still does comparatively right like 
look at you know research polls of the military compared to other institutions, military compared to Congress, obviously very, very different levels of trust there. Um, but the military score has has still decreased. It was as high as 75, 90%. Now it's down to like 50% of you know positive view or positive trust, which so it's still in relative terms higher than other institutions, but it's not in, you know, in absolute terms, it's, it's less. Um, and so one of the things I think that's important important to analyze. And one of the things that I really push for is we've had this culture of being silent and just accepting, you know, head down, accept orders on political issues. And sort of, you know, we don't talk about that here. We're, we're, we're the military, we're apolitical. We don't analyze that. And I don't, I don't think that jives with Generation Z. Generation Z is a political generation they are interested in politics they are actively understand uh how impactful that is so the, the nuance that i, that I want to split and the, the thing i want to get at and sort of promote i think is that satiates generation z's political desire but keeps us out of the clutches of the nastiness of politics is you have to be able to separate the party and the policy and I say that very carefully, that we should be having policy discussions at all levels, right? We are American voters and thinkers, and we should have policy discussion and understand the impacts of these policy uh, in a constructive, positive, strong way, 100%. What we shouldn't be doing is cheerleading and rooting for a specific political party or candidate, right? It shouldn't be, you know, I've, yes, the you know, this this party is the right party. Uh, I vote for them and I like this candidate and whatever, and that's what I want to do. And, you know, and, and that I don't think ever has a place in uniform and shouldn't have a place in an institution, but we should be discussing policy. And I think what you'll find or what I believe we'll find is a more informed, more proactive, more speaking Generation Z that is allowed to express their policy viewpoints and under, and, and you know, be proud of them without cheerleading and you know, sticking themselves into one side or the other of the aisle, right? Because a lot of people, I think, this is a personal belief, but if you look at some of the data too, they don't necessarily just align with one political party or the other. They'll have policy ideas on both sides or more moderate ones and more uh, uh, stern policy ideas on, on one side of the aisle, but they still understand some of the sides if they look at it from a very policy issue based rather than, you know, this administration did wrong and this administration did right. So I only like this administration. I only like that one. I don't think that's the way to look at it. But we say, hey, this was a policy failure by a certain administration. Now, what could we do differently? How can we improve going forward? What are the ways going forward? So that's a, a key argument that I really try to push out. Um, I think it's an important one. Well, well fair enough. And, and that's the thing. I think a lot of us veterans were scratching our heads with the absolute, the silence was deafening. And you know, we all understand why it was silenced, but still it was falling on deaf ears that, that, hey, you know, our generation was taught, leave no one behind. We will we will come through the fires of hell to get that American out of there. Back to World War II, some of the things we did to make sure our people came home. So, you know, this generation is very savvy to understand that. And so silence was equated as acceptance, which was equated as, hey, this is the way things are going to be. You are truly an expendable government asset and past your number, we don't care about you. And and so, you know, this leads me to the second part of this, which I like the way in the book that you articulated the problems and the data and the human side of those problems. But what he really gets into here, and I'm not just like beating the drum here, I really did like this, folks, is how you started proposing some of the solutions in your book. So I really want to take the rest of this time and go into that because it wasn't just like marketing speak or rah-rah speak or ooh-rah Marine Corps speak. Like you really took some time to develop these solutions. Where did that come from to get to what you were trying to communicate, sir? Absolutely. So I tried to make this, um, again, with exactly what I said in the beginning, there's no one solution, one silver bullet, um, one perfect way, you know, a manual, like how we can break down a rifle in a very organized way. Everyone has uh, 
is, is there's going to be a, a thousand different solutions to solve this truly wicked problem. But I didn't want to just attack and lambast and say, oh, things are wrong. I wanted to actually make it practical to sort of add some some thought. If I can use this word thought entrepreneurship, thought um, leadership on some of these ideas of what we can do uh, to change the institution. And again, I hope some of these ideas bother people on both sides. And I hope readers agree with half of them, absolutely hate and disagree with half of them. That's that's the point. The point is to really raise the conversation. But I think in the past, one of the things I was seeing when I go back to why I wrote the book on these articles, these these news stations of why is this problem occurring? A lot of them are sort of high level, why is this occurring? Not how do we actually fix this? How do we go forward? And the real reason is this is my generation's military to inherit and now to stand guard on, right? I am a butter bar. Hopefully we'll have many years in the Marine Corps. And I'm looking, you know, decades out, long-term out. If I want to start impacting the future Marine Corps, it has to be now, right? The Commandant did, you know, the 2030 planning guidance. It's a long-term uh, planning, long, long time ahead. We, we need longer-term thinking. We need to actually present solutions that even if they take a long time to implement can over time start to make a difference. And that's why, and again, I, I put them all online. Even if you don't buy the book, they can all be viewed online for, for, for conversation starters, right? It's that we need to sort of not just say, oh, this is why people aren't joining. You know, let's complain a little. It's no, wait, what can we actually do to, to make a difference, to make a dent on this issue? That's sort of where the solution piece comes in. And that's where I, I, I felt I had to write each chapter end with at least some some idea for someone higher than me, obviously, or or at my level, or you know, anywhere in the organization to be able to say, hey, we can actually implement this. Let's go and actually make a change. Well, let's unpack thought entrepreneurship because I, for one, really like that because in a sense, you're taking your thoughts collating them into a package and asking people to buy into what you're doing. And let's start with, if I may, let's start with your fellow second lieutenants, all of them getting their platoon or their, you know, at the company level, maybe, maybe, but still platoon level primarily to, to start this. You had to have talked to other Marine lieutenants about this, sir. What what's their thoughts on this, and you know, do they support? What do they think? Absolutely. So I think what was so interesting for when I was writing this and how fresh and new I was um, to the military is that I like to say all these conversations were were really crowdsourced, right? In in, in many ways, this book was written by hundreds of second lieutenants and conversations that I had with with them. Um, to really refine these ideas. And, you know, there there are a few classes that, uh, a few schoolhouse classes that will remain unnamed, but I bothered them every single day. It was, ah, oh, here comes Lieutenant Weiss again with another another chapter idea. We'd have these discussions. But what I found, so, so thank you to all of those people that I bothered for, you know, literally 200, 300 people that I bothered for, for these ideas. Um, of all ranks too, of junior enlisted ranks as well, I, sh- I should add. Um, and even of of, of uh, Navy and not just Marine Corps. Um, I think what was so interesting to me and and the positive impact was everyone had an everyone had ideas and everyone was decently passionate once you started asking them because it's a process that we've all gone through. and we've all at least made that decision at some point ourselves to sign on the dotted line. We all understood various aspects of it. So one of the key questions I would ask, Often the first question I'd ask is, you know, what are your ideas on the recruiting crisis? And they would have a bunch and they would start talking. But one of them was, why did your peer in high school or in college or think, you know, give me think to some person, your brother, your sister, why did someone that, you know, not choose this path and what could have convinced them? And that was a really prompting, strong question. Like, think back to high school why your best friend in class or your, your classmate who, you know, you thought could be a great leader you know, athletic and, and, and military interested. Why didn't they join? Um, and, and that was, that was, uh, that was fascinating. So yeah, the, the idea of thought entrepreneurship is really, I think a crowdsourcing a idea competition. That's important. Not just, you know, this is not my manifesto professing just my viewpoint. It's really bringing together the best and strongest ideas from a, a collated group. Uh, and 
you know, thought competition is weeding out, you know, com- having those ideas compete against each other so that the best one truly does weed out um, is, is, is sort of an interesting dynamic. So th- this is interesting. Now, you're, you're over your platoon or your squad and, you know, you get assigned uh, an NCO, staff NCO to kind of like, you know, bring you along. So I have to think that you've talked to some E5s, E6s and E7s, Sergeant, Staff Sergeant, Gunnery Sergeant, who have, by the way, been in the recruiting billet. You know, if they haven't been in the yep. drill field, haven't been, you know, MSG or security forces, they've been the recruiting billet. What was their take on what you're doing? Because they're actually in the trenches doing this. So there had to be some very interesting discussions with them because they did this. 100%. And they've been some of the most valuable source material for me, right? Because again, understanding I, I'm not a recruiter, I've not been in the billet. Um, knowing that, right, the gunnies, specifically the gunnies, some, and some of the staffs, but specifically the gunnies have been invaluable they've been extremely extremely important to to my thought genesis of uh how things are how was it in the seat how have things changed what are things you struggled with one of the chapters specifically talks about some ideas about helping recruiters and sort of assisting that model uh particularly that directly came from a lot of their ideas um you know it's hard to and again i'm very numbers you know nerdy signature uh statistics based i like to look at the large macro data uh, versus anecdotal data, right? So I have to recognize that, you know, one person's experience and one gunny's, you know, um, experience in the, in the recruiting billet doesn't speak for everyone's. At the same time, I believe in the 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 concept that, you know, when not when there's smoke, there's fire, but you start to generate enough anecdotal support, you start to see some trend lines, right? I was going to say, yeah, pretty, trending. Yeah, exactly. We're pretty good at making trend lines, right? So like, you start to come together and say, okay, well, you know, six gunnies said, you know, this was an issue with, you know, I wish I had this type of support. I wish I had this training. I wish I had, you know, business sales type training beforehand. Ooh, that's an interesting idea. Maybe I can put that in. And that actually is one of the things that, you know, six gunnies came and said, like, I was never trained, uh, you know, specifically, even before I, I went to the initial recruiting course, I would have loved to do some online sales, marketing courses. It could help my future career, et cetera. That's a perfect point. I said, great. You know, six of them said that. Let's put that in. Let's explore that more. Um, training recruiters differently. So, like that, that is a perfect example of yeah. My my staff and CEOs who we always lean on anyway. Uh, the 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 core of the core, as we say. Um, they've been they've been extremely helpful in this, and their insight has been huge. So you go through the book, and, and you know, we we could spend like a whole series on this, sir, just going through the problems in the book. And the book is, ladies and gentlemen, we don't want you, comma, Uncle Sam. And, you know, I've enjoyed getting on your website. I'll have that link in the Oscar Mike Radio show post. But but in summary, for the context of this conversation, you get to the end of the book, and, and there is a way forward. And I would just ask you to share, do you feel optimism at all that, that there is a way forward to getting back to where we were? I do. Okay. I, I truly do. And that is why I feel so passionate and I'm trying to put so much energy into this because I do think uh, overall that there is a way forward to reverse these trends and make the military a truly appealing um, and desirable place for, major- for for a large swath of Generation C to join, Right. It would be amazing. It would be like mission accomplished, right? If, you know, there was so much interest in the military one day that we were turning people away, right? You know, I I like to use the comparison. Look at some of the companies and society in the business world that have so many applicants. They have to go through these crazy interview processes because there's just such a desire. Well, I I think we're ever going to get to to that, you know, crazy point where we're turning thousands of people away? Not necessarily, but it would be great to get to there where we're really so professional such a desire to join that we we do have to turn a lot of people away and only take the best because there's been such a groundswell of of of, of interest in joining. Um, I think we can through various, some small, some big tweaks, actually get there. And this goes this goes to the point, right? Any any one more person interested who's a, who's a good qualified potential recruit, um, regardless of you know 
anything in the background, just just one more interested is is starting to trend in the right direction, right? So while none of the ideas are so sweeping, some are more macro scale, some are more micro scale, right? None of them are so sweeping, in my opinion. None of them are gross changes of everything we know. That's not what I'm calling for. I'm not calling to, you know, not one of these, tear the system down. They're just marginal changes, the right amount of pressure applied in just the right areas that will start to hopefully shift the overall uh, consensus and the overall Gen Z societal viewpoint that, hey, I do want to go to have that YouTube search. I do want to go online and look up exactly what we were talking about before, you know, Weapon System X. I am propensed to want to talk to a recruiter or explore this career on a much higher level. I think that if we do some of these things and obviously more, because I definitely don't have all the answers. And this is, again, just the conversation starting point. But if we start talking about this more, if nothing else, if the veterans, active duty, and people not in the military just start talking about this issue more, then I achieve my mission here and we can start to change and, and start to push things in the right direction. And that for that reason, just having this conversation, I'm, I'm optimistic and believe that if we can continue this trend, just these conversations at the American dinner table, that would be positive in terms of making an impact on this. You know, sir, that's really, uh, you know, kind of like almost, I almost feel like I'm in front of my, you know, battery platoon formation and, you know, Lieutenant Baird is out there giving us a real, like, you know, you Marines did good kind of, kind of speech like you lieutenants do, because, you know, not for nothing. This is why I start Oscar Mike radio. It is to Absolutely. get, it, it, and it's, it's all about connecting with that one person at a time, that one veteran who's trying to make their, their life after they got out that one family member who's trying to understand how our world works or in this case somebody who's looking for validation as a you know is my attempt at trying to serve my country going to be worth it so th this is falls in line with what you're trying to do and i really am glad that you know we connected on this level when's the book come out and how can people get a hold of it Absolutely. And again, thank you so much. Really, really great discussion today. And, and to all, all the listeners, right, again, just that that's the message. Just have this conversation, come up with your own ideas. And uh, that, that that's the real the key point. So the book officially launches August 14th. Um, the website www.unclesambook.org will have a link to it and all the chapters and a place people can input their own ideas. I thought that was a cool feature. Um, but in truth, Amazon, right? Amazon is where everything's sold. Now, if you just type in, we don't want you, Uncle Sam by Matthew Weiss on Amazon, audiobook or print comes up. Um, would love anyone to connect with me. And, and again, put ideas on that site, connect with me. I, I'd love to sort of keep promoting this um, on all levels and all different fields. It's been really positive groundswell of uh, of people reaching out and, and wanting to have this conversation. So I anticipate a lot more. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited. So thank you. Well, just to let you know, sir, this show will be number three, five, eight dropping on August 24th. So a little bit after your, your book drops. So you'll see some, you know, spin up to that and would love to have you back on if, you know, as, as the story progresses and, and certainly, you know, I appreciate your time. Last question, completely off book topic, but Marine Corps topic. Yeah. Yeah. I got to know this. I got to know what you think. Yeah. I have the civilian come up to me or the other devil dog or, or worse, or the, an air force person. Brutal. <laughs> brutal. And they're telling me, Travis, the Marine Corps is going away. Did you know that the Marine Corps is gone? You know, right up there, right up there, sir, with the army guys telling me, well, we did the biggest amphibious landing in, in military history, which fills me with rage. I'm going to be honest with you, sir, it fills me with rage. Yep. What's your view? Is, is, the, is the Marine Corps as a naval infantry force needed, or is things like removing tanks making us more true to our amphibious roots? Is it truly addition through subtraction? It's a great question. So I'll answer it in two ways. Okay, great. General Vandegrift. Uh, my, my grandfather was on Guadalcanal, by the way. So I, I have a per personal connection to this one. But General Vandegrift gave the famous bend in knee speech to Congress. And then he said, uh, 
because of Guadalcanal and when we saw the flag raising on Iwo Jima, there will be a Marine Corps for 500 years. And I'm fully convinced there will be a Marine Corps for 500 years. Um, now, in the junior officer corps viewpoint, and I think one of the things that this has been great for is at 2030, a lot of forces on, a lot of debate, a lot of change for us who know no difference. We don't remember and we don't have the experience of, of our elders, but we were brought up in this in this culture. I think it is our job to at least promote this experiment, see it through, see force design, see what our core can become um, with the belief that, yes, this is the future and we are stronger now than ever, and we are adapting and innovating and changing in a positive way, because that's how we were trained, right? We we force design was our initial training doc, right? And it's our job to be again to use the word entrepreneurial, to be entrepreneurial in that, to see that out um, at the very most junior company uh, company officer level. And I am one hundred percent fully optimistic they will one hundred percent be a core for five hundred years and. The Army and the Air Force will always have to enjoy the fact that we have by far the best looking uniforms, the best culture and the best core. <laughs> well, just and just to close it down on that level, the Army birthday came up like like recently and there was like nothing, sir. It was just another day to them. And I'm like, what is wrong with these guys where our birthday is the birthday as far as I'm concerned? And it's one of those things where, you know. I'm proud of that, sir. I am proud of that lineage. I can tell, you know, a parent, anybody about what my first Marine Corps ball was like rubbing shoulders with, you know, colonels and generals and, you know, army brass. It was, so mine was at Fort Bliss, uh, which is an army installation for air defense. And they had army and other dignitaries there. It was, it was fantastic. That's a memory that no one else will have that makes our service special. So I, I think it's those kinds of things that need to be told. Absolutely. 100% agree um, fully and, and I'm very optimistic about, I'm, I'm extremely optimistic about our core, the people that are in it, um, my peers, junior enlisted, those that are remaining um, super, super great, better than ever group. Um, that will continue to lead and continue to, to show that this is a great model for service, a great organization. And there is a reason why the Corps is hitting its recruiting goal. Again, still has its own issues. And maybe next year we'll, we'll, we won't hit our recruiting goal, but for now it is on track to hit it because of some of the unique things we do that I think we can promulgate to the rest of the DOD as well. So. Fantastic, sir. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm with Second Lieutenant Matthew Weiss, U.S. Marine Corps. Um, as a Marine Corps veteran, you know, to talk to an active duty Marine is a true honor. The book is, you know, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam. I will have all the information in the Amazon link in the Oscar Mike Radio Show post. Sir, I, I wish you all the best. And, you know, you have an open invitation to come back on Oscar Mike Radio and update us. As we say in Oscar Mike Radio, sir, mission flight. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Summer for Dallas. Summer Fidel, sir. Join us on National Wreaths Across America Day, December 16th, 2023. Each December on National Wreaths Across America Day, our mission to remember, honor, and teach is carried out by coordinating wreath-laying ceremonies at Arlington National Cemetery, as well as more than 3,700 additional locations in all 50 states, at sea and abroad. Join us by sponsoring a veteran's wreath at a cemetery near you, volunteering, or donating to a local sponsor group. Thank you for listening and watching Oscar Mike Radio, where our active duty service members and veterans are in action, and the mission is in flight. If you are a veteran or know a veteran who needs help, Please dial 998 and press 1 for the Veterans Crisis Line.